Welcome to Bada Boom. I'm Chris. On today's episode of the podcast, we have on Mark Bernardin, the writer of Messenger, The Legend of Muhammad Ali, a biographical graphic novel about the iconic boxer. Known for his work in TV and as the co-host of the Fat Man Beyond podcast with Kevin Smith, Bernardin talks about the challenge of presenting the story of the greatest of all time in graphic novel form. Bernardin also discusses how working in journalism, TV, film, comics, and video games has inspired his creativity. Listen in and bada boom. Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm doing extraordinarily well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. But I'm glad you're on today. We get to talk about a, a really great project you're working on, Messenger, the Legend of Muhammad Ali. Tell me about, like, how did that start and, you know, um, what brought you on? Um, well, it started because I, uh, I was, I've been talking to an editor over at First Second about a, a, a project that never got off the ground. Not because I didn't want to, not because she didn't want to, just, you know, there's, there's, there's a dozen ways that things don't happen and only one way that things do. Um, and so that project just, you know, it, it was never right for First Second and eventually would, would land it someplace else. But you know, the the conversations we had were were good and were strong. And I liked working with her. Um and 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 I liked the way she thought it. I guess she liked the way that I thought. And then she said, Hey, so we have this other thing. Um, and I'm looking for a writer and I'm looking for a very specific it was like it was like uh like Liam Neeson was like <laughs> a specific set of skills. <laughs> I, I have a very specific I have a narrow target that I have to hit. I'm looking for somebody who has journalistic chops as a journalistic background who knows how to write comic books and who likes sports and uh and that is there's there's maybe eight of us yeah. <laughs> who, who uh who fit all of those bills and she's like and it also couldn't hurt if this person was a was a person of color and she wouldn't tell me what it was at first it was just you know, like a very 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 famous athlete <laughs> <laughs> And I think my first guess was Jackie Robinson, but then and I was like, no, it's 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 Ali, and and so you know the lawyers and the agents and whatever did their work and they made a contract and and then I kind of went to work and then got incredibly afraid of it because Muhammad Ali's life is massive. Um, you know, you could fill five or six different graphic novel volumes of his life if you included everything that happened to him, everything that he went through, every fight that he fought, every, you know, every everything um, would be a bit too much. And so I, I think I, I stared at the blank screen for about a year. Um, and then I saw um, the Steve Jobs movie. Then I saw the, the and, and the Aaron Sorkin structure and the Danny Boyle direction, which if you remember that movie, it is all about three product launches in Steve Jobs' yeah. life. Um, and how each of those moments helped to illuminate who he was as a person. And I was like, oh, okay, what if we kind of steal that? What if we, or pay homage to it, whatever you want to say. Um, and so what if we structure it as a, a fight? What if it's 10 rounds? And each round is a different sort of moment in his life that we can use to illuminate who Cassius Clay was and then who Muhammad Ali was. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. And that's a great thing to draw inspiration from. Funny enough, you know, as someone that speaks in references, I always send the clip of, you know, Seth Rogen as was to my friend when he doesn't acknowledge me. <laughs> Just, um, but, Just you know, thank you to the Apple II team. Well, what's so hard about that? Um, <laughs> um, but what's 
you know, it's interesting, you, you know, you talk about being scared to kind of like tackle it. I think, you know, Ali in a lot of ways, like I think the word goat and icon get thrown around very loosely these days, mm-hmm. uh, but they really embody that. They sort of have this life that is sort of so large, it's hard to kind of really talk about and, and really get down. So, you know, obviously with your background in journalism, what was it like to kind of dive in maybe a little bit deeper? Like, was it something you knew on a superficial level or was it something that you really had to dive into to really get to the meat of it? I mean, I, I knew the, the thing about Ali is that he was maybe the most famous person on the planet for the 20th century. Like, period. Like, the Beatles wanted a picture with him, not the other way around. Is how famous he was. And, and, and he was born and he thrived at a time where fame was real. You know, like it's not Instagram follower fame. Yeah. It's not whatever fame. It's, you know, he could not walk across the street of Harlem without stopping traffic. Like that's how famous he was. And, you know, no internet, <laughs> you know, radio and like newsreel footage and the beginnings of TV. And, uh, and he seemed built for it. And so like I knew some very surface level stuff. Like I, I knew... You know, the thrill in Manila, I knew the rumble in the jungle, I knew, you know, the the lighting of the torch in the 96 Olympics. Like, I, I knew kind of the the most remedial, fundamental version of, of Ali's story. And so it definitely required some some reading, some watching, some listening, some, you know, deep dives and finding the, the, the biographies that made the most sense to read. And, like, thankfully, because he was as famous as he was, most of his old fights are on YouTube, so you can watch that stuff. You can see old news clips of him. You can see some of the old Howard Cosell interviews. Like, all of that stuff is readily available. And so I just kind of immersed myself in it for a little bit and and discovered the things that, like, the, the stories behind the stories that I knew and then a bunch of stories that I'd never heard before. And that was really fascinating to do, to to kind of do that kind of skullduggery um, into, a, into a life like that and discover the 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 kernels of joy and wonder and phenomenal acts and, and, and beliefs and all that stuff that had been just kind of hiding under the surface. Yeah. And it sounds like you had a very grounded approach to it. Like, was it hard to kind of not get into, because he is almost like, you know, a comic book character in the way he, 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 he stands amongst, you know, all athletes, all celebrities, you know? So was it hard to not get, not to deviate from that, you know, and, and, and get into the fantastical, or did you lean into that a little bit? You know, I think that, that especially early on, you know, in my conversations with uh, my editor, Callista Brill, at first second, I, once, once I realized that we weren't going to be able to do, or I didn't want to do, I didn't have the, the interest in doing this sort of cradle to grave biography, the idea of it being this kind of epic poem, the idea of this being this kind of like heroic myth to a certain degree, mm-hmm about Ali um, gave us some latitude to indulge a little bit of that legend stuff and a little bit of the fantastical. I mean, we, we didn't have a chapter on him fighting Superman, but we probably yeah. could. And so, you know, being able to take some latitude with time and place and the people who were there or weren't there, like there's a couple chapters that do that kind of compressing of things that, you know, you'll often see in a movie where, based on a true story does not mean a true story. <laughs> you know, like even even documentaries that you see are not necessarily as it happened. There's If there's a storyteller, then there's a perspective and there's an agenda. Um, and so, you know, I did sort of indulge the, sometimes the like, what's the legend of this? What's the, 
or it's a thing that feels true, even if it isn't actually true. And there's plenty of stuff that you could have just written down and we did just verbatim. This is what happened and it feels remarkable. You know, and then there's stuff that just felt like, you know, did he really toss a, a gold medal into the into the river because he couldn't <laughs> put it in the lunch counter? Like he's said it both ways, like the reportage goes both ways. Like, is it true? Is it not true? Is it just a great story? And if it is just a great story, doesn't that still have some some impact? Doesn't that still bear inclusion, even if it feels real but isn't? And so that was kind of the 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 guideposts, you know, the, the North Star that I was trying to follow. Like what what feels real in that it tells us something about this man. And then if it does, and hey, even better if it squares with reality, but even if not, <laughs> if it uh, if it illuminates him in in, a, in a, an important way, then it's it's worth considering including. Yeah, you know, I think those stories are important, especially when it comes to athletes. You know, it's like you know those those stories you hear about Bo Jackson. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. about as important as the stuff he actually did on the field. It's like, did Bo really? <laughs> could he really uh, sling a a bow with it with his feet? It's like those kind of moments really kind of um, add to the myth and the legend. And what was it like writing it? Because I think what's really interesting about you is that you really do hit all those marks. You know, you've been in journalism, you've written TV, film, um, comic books. Like at this point in your career, what was it like to dive into something like that? And how did you really use all those tools you've required over the years? Um, it is it is the longest thing I've ever written. Um, you know, like I've written screenplays for movies. Those tap out at about 100 and 110 pages. I've written, you know, single issues of comic books. I've written original graphic novels, but at like 220 some odd pages, this was the biggest slab of of anything that I've ever been responsible for. And so it was a matter of pacing, you know, <laughs> like, all right, you got to keep your energy up. You got to keep going. It's thankfully it's chapters. So you can just kind of zero in on each chapter and kind of discreetly start to hammer away at things. It was it was a long process of just learning how to do that and learning how to trust, um, especially working with with Ron Salas. Like there were there were chapters that were just going to be conversation. There were chapters that was just going to be dialogue. Two people sitting in chairs opposite each other and talking. And so like feeling confident enough that Ron could draw that stuff and make it dynamic, and then trying my best to hit the notes that I felt a chapter should hit, like. You know, in the in the Cosell stuff, it's talking about his relationship with the media. It's talking about his relationship with the public and the misconceptions about him and the nation of Islam and what he believed and what what he stood for. Um, in the in the Esquire magazine chapter, like it's it's actually a very still quiet chapter because a lot of that is in Ali internalizing the beginnings of his fracture with the nation of Islam because they were willing to use him as a marketing tool. Um, and his own conflicted feelings about Catholicism, about the media, about journalism, um, all of that stuff, trying to, to make sure that each chapter achieved its objective of making you feel a certain way, of making you understand a certain thing. Um, that was hard at first. You know, it's always hard at first. But the more you do it, the, you find yourself in the rhythm, you find it kind of just coming to you and happening. And, and knowing where you're going is always helpful. Like, you know, if you're out there in the in the woods, just kind of just writing to write, like mm -hmm. without a, without a destination in mind, it feels a little futile, like you're running on a treadmill, not going anywhere. But like, I kind of knew how this book was going to end. And so it was always a matter of just getting there. Like, we know where we're going. We know where we're going. And that counts for a lot. <laughs> yeah. 
And for like people that that pick up the the graphic novel, like what's the thing? Obviously, there's been so much media as you've you know used to research and stuff like that. What would you like people to take away um, from this particular telling of his story? And you know, what do you guys? What do you think really is different about this story than stories that have been told in the past? I mean, for for me, I hope people understand that he was a fighter through the entirety of his life that even when he was no longer in the ring even when there was no longer a belt at stake like he he was a fighter he fought for everything he fought for you know people he'd never met he fought for dignity he fought for the soul of america you know like in 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 listening to like the 1619 project one of the things that i that i was really inspired by and moved by was the idea that black americans uh, especially, but Americans of color are the ones who keep America accountable to its original promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for everybody. And so that idea that Ali kept pushing at that, kept expanding the boundaries of what that meant, you know, kept hammering at America to make sure that it fulfilled that promise, you know, in, in small ways and big ways. I hope that that if you if you have a passing familiarity with Muhammad Ali, it's discovering those ways in which he fought to make America better for everybody who was in it. And to certainly to make the world better for everybody who was in it. And being that this is the biggest project you've ever worked on, like, was there anything like you learned or, or, or took away from the experience being that it, it's such a large project and also comes with a level of responsibility. And in a lot of ways, it's, you know, it's a lot more intimidating to tackle something like this than like, let's say Superman or, or Batman, even though those are important and, and, and big things, you know, this is someone who who's lived and whose story is very important to people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always, there's a certain amount of responsibility you take when you're writing about a person who was real. Um, and especially a person for whom there are, you know, a, a legacy, you know, and that legacy is embodied in lots of ways by his children and his grandchildren. And so, I uh, I always wanted to write a book that I could hopefully hand a member of his extended family and be proud of that and not be afraid of what they would say when they read it. I was not out to muckrake. I was not out to like discover the, the human foibles that lie in the heart of Muhammad Ali, <laughs> you know, in as much as, you know, he candidly admitted to some of those things, mm-hmm. you know, but it was it was definitely more for me about making sure that a generation who did not have a lot of context for Ali could still come to a book like this and discover what made him special and what made him the goat. No quotes. Yeah, yeah exactly. The the real quote, not the, uh, hey, passively, let's just throw this in <laughs> <laughs> uh, But, you know, um, and again, like, you know, going into like how many things you're into, like, what's it been like sort of having this and and then also still being able to to pursue things like I know you're working with distillery on a book you know the film aspect the tv and then also like in terms of I you know I know you're working on a game like what's that been like being able to be a working writer and and be able to pursue all these different things I think for me like when I went to school for for journalism the most exciting thing was being like oh my god I don't have to pick anything like I could tell this story I could tell that story so you know in a lot of ways you're you're an inspiration in terms of like what you've been able to do and pursue things you love so what's that been like to be in a position where you could write a book about Muhammad Ali but then also write a game about Black Panther um it's funny when I was a, when I was a journalist I 
I, I love being a journalist and I still do love it. I get to kind of poke, poke at that or scratch that itch every now and again. But I remember being a journalist and also writing comic books on the side and also starting to write pilots and, and screenplays on the side. And I was like, I just want to have one job. That's all I want. All I want is to be able to, to, to wake up in the morning and go do the thing that I do want to do that I can get paid to do. At the time that was television. I mean, I had like these brief fantasies about being a professional comic book writer and that just being the job. Yeah. And then I realized that, that I could not make enough money <laughs> just yeah. comics, uh, to, to make the, to, to keep the lights on. And so for the longest time, it's like, I just want one job. And then I managed to get that one job. And then I was like, yeah, but, but there's other things too, though. But there's, here's the thing that comic books does for me. Like it allows me to just kind of tell these stories in a very immediate way. And it gets to a reader relatively unfiltered. You know, like if I write an episode of TV, there's some 200 people between me and that thing hitting the air. You know, there's my fellow writers and the staff, there's my boss, the showrunner, there's the network, there's the studio, there's the hundreds of people who were involved in making it, who all, who have a separate perspective and a different, you know, uh, view on what the work is and all of which is great. Like, you know, I love the process, but it does have a way of kind of, you know, if you were telling a particularly pointed episode or story, it does soften that point a little bit just because that many people pass their hands over it. Comics is just like, hey, it's just you and the page and the artist and the editor, and that's kind of it. And so there's something pure about comics that I do still love. You know, movies and games are just like this, This because, like, hey, you want to work on a video game? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Why would I not have been playing games since I was eight? Like, let's let's see what this world is like. And it's a completely different muscle. It's A lot of it feels to me like like being a farmer, right? Where, like, you have these fields, and these fields... If you're just all you're doing is corn, corn all day, all day in, day out, at some point, the, the earth is going to get tired of corn. Your yield will get lower. And so they tell you, you got to rotate the crops. Instead of corn, maybe you plant okra now. Maybe you plant wheat. Maybe you plant, you know, whatever. Wine now, like grapes, to give the earth a chance to kind of rebuild itself. And so by doing lots of different things, it, it allows, I, I think, for my brain to kind of rebuild itself after sort of too much of one thing. Variety is the spice of life, as they say. Yeah. And so getting a chance to indulge all of those different um, sort of interests and passions and curiosities keeps me young, uh, at least intellectually and spiritually and mentally, if not physically, because I'm a wreck physically. <laughs> yeah, I feel that too. You know, and I wake up every day with back pain. I'm like, you know, what? 30s is not fun, but I'm sure yeah. it worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it only gets worse. As I see my, you know, son jumping up and down the, you know, the couch playing video games. I'm like, oh man, I should have enjoyed that a lot more while it was going on. I know, right? Remember jumping? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, or uh, just enjoying things the way he does. But, you know, that's great, especially... To, to find that passion, I think it's important to, to, to do that. I think people at times look at, at the, the arts as something like, oh, like it's not a job. You know what I mean? I think people do get tired of things and sort of need to explore and um, try different things and, and be able to um, scratch those itches when it, when it comes up, you know? Um, and especially in this world, like, I think it, it's good to, I think in a lot of ways before you kind of had to be put in a box, it's like, Hey, if you, you write this kind of thing, you, you have to stay in that box, but mm -hmm. it's great to, to see what you've been able to accomplish and, and really pursue. Cause I think a lot of people sometimes, you know, they get really rigid or they're, they're put in a box, but you've been able to explore so many different things, which has been uh, really great. 
Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's the same for me. It's what I think travel does for people, right? Which is like broaden your horizons, get out into the world, go see some things you never would have seen, meet people you never would have met. And because of that, you, you get some kind of elasticity, right? You you just begin to grow and, and expand your, your, your world. And, you know, for me, I don't get to travel as much as I used to when I was a younger man before I had kids. So getting to work on different things does that, fills that same function, right? It, it stretches and broadens and, you know, it, it tears a little bit. And I think that, that, you know, resistance is necessary for that. It's the same theory of, of, of exercise, right? Like if you can push yourself to exhaustion then your muscles will tear a little bit and in the tear, they get, they rebuild themselves stronger. And so if you can do that mentally, however you have to do that mentally, you know, be it, Hey, I went on vacation to, to Belize or, Hey, I, I read this new book that I've never read from an author I've never read, or, Hey, I, I tried to write a new story, the kind of which I haven't done before. Like all of that tears a little bit and all of it's, all of us are better for that tear. I completely agree, especially um, even pursuing this has been something fun, a little bit of a, a good thing in the garage. Like, hey, I get to talk to cool people that I really <laughs> admire. And then it's also like, oh, wow, I had some really good conversations. But, you know, and to the travel point, like I'll go on a trip and they'll be like, I think I could I could live here. <laughs> you start yeah. looking around, you you know, you, you get so excited and, and passionate about something. You're like, wow, like. When they're like you start looking at Zillow, you're like, all right, like it's not, it's pretty affordable, you know. Mm-hmm. Looking at Fair. the schools, all the things. Schools are on bad and get a lot for the money. All right, yeah, yeah I can know. live here, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm like, wait, I just went to the you know grocery store at two in the morning. I can't leave New York. <laughs> 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 uh, so there's those things. So you know, the honeymoon periods always are. And then you know, going on that, I know. Um, obviously, I, I don't know how much you could talk about it, but you know, I know you directed a short. So what was that like? Um, you know, especially as a writer, you know, you talked about sort of how all those filters, you know, your projects go through sometimes, like, what was it like to be kind of at the helm of something? Um, it was not what I expected it to be. You know, I mean, we all have this, this image of the director, um, imprinted on us through people like, Martin Scorsese or Spike Lee or James Cameron or Steven Spielberg or, or whatever, in my case, even, you know, Kevin Smith. And that the, the idea that we have in our heads of the kind of, you know, dude in a suit with a baseball hat on a crane who's dictating, <laughs> you know, it's very messianic. You're right? yeah. just like, here's my feeling about everything. Did now, you have a megaphone? Yeah, I did not have it. Oh, man. We never an opportunity. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, but the, the truth of it is, at least for me, was I knew what I didn't know. And I never wanted that ignorance to stand in the way of making something that could be fun. And so I just kept telling every person who worked on that show, I was like, hey, guys, I know what I'm doing. Like, I wrote it. That part I know. That part I've been paid to do before. Like, I feel very comfortable in the fact that the words on a page work um, and that the emotion that's at the center of this um, is real. But everything else, I don't know how to do that. So I'm going to let you do the thing that we're hiring you to do that you're very, very good at. And let's talk about it. I'll tell you what I think this scene needs. I'll tell you what I think it wants to feel like. And I leave it to you on how to achieve that. <laughs> and and I feel like, you know, when when people are good at what they do, the thing that they want most of anything is room to run you know, and the license to execute as they kind of see fit. And 
at some point there's a little guidance and fine tuning and can we get a little bit more of this or can this be a bit more purple how about that was a bit more red or whatever but you know empowering people to do what they do very well and then having them show up on the day having everybody show up on the day kind of ready to play and ready to feel some some ownership about it it is very much like conducting an orchestra where I can't play any of these instruments. In fact, I can't even really tell you how to play that instrument. <laughs> All I can tell you is a little bit faster, a little bit yeah. slower. You know, let's punch this a little bit more. And so that that level of of ego slash lack of ego is, is was for me the, the the thing that I learned the most. You know, which is you know not to say it was a super huge surprise to me, but like just letting people do what they do and do well and getting out of the way. The job is hiring the best people that you can hire and then letting them, letting them do the thing you hire them for. And especially actors. Like I've always had a, had a soft spot in my heart for actors, but watching very good actors do what they do is like a kind of magic and a kind of magic that they can replicate and that they can modulate. And it's, it's kind of remarkable to see them conjure that kind of thing out of thin air. And so uh, half the time I just, Sat there watching. <laughs> oh, oh, right. Yeah. God, oh, wait. You guys are waiting on me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Right, yeah, we move on. I swear. No, it was, it was amazing. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the process was, was incredibly rewarding and completely exhausting. And if you'd asked me on day one if I ever wanted to do it again, I'd say no. But if you asked me on day five, you know, after we wrapped, I'd say, I can't wait to do it again, just because it's, you know, when it's all working and when you have everything you need, it's the most fun. That's awesome. And it's great that you got that opportunity again to to explore that. I think it's important to see those things and especially like to, to see the other side, to understand like, hey, like what this is what works. This is what actors like. This is what some actors don't like. It's like, wow, I, I didn't know like that. That would be annoying. But I guess it is, you know, when you're on the yeah. other side of things. For real. And like, it was it was one of the reasons why kind of subconsciously, I didn't even really yeah. put words to it um, at the time. But one of the reasons why I wanted to make a short wanted to be on a set was because as a TV writer in in the current economy and the current model of the way we make TV, yeah. I don't get to spend a lot of time on set. Um, I don't get to to cover set is the is the phrase that we use yeah. or produce your episode, um, which is vital, which is. Yeah knowing how to talk to, to other department heads, knowing how to have conversations with actors about the story, knowing how to have conversations about the director, to the director about the story, you know, learning how to make sure that the thing that the showrunner wanted it to feel like the show feels like. And it's an invaluable set of skills that because I'd been in lots of rooms that were, were 20 weeks or less, that were quote unquote mini rooms, because lots of the shows that I've worked on have been big budget kind of genre things that did not shoot where we wrote them. Yeah. It's like, hey, so we wrote this show in LA and we're going to shoot in Prague. Do you have enough money to send it to Prague? No. no. <laughs> so we'll send you a postcard from Budapest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so we'll, you know, we can't send you to set. We can't, we can't help give you this set of skills that no. you're going to need when the time comes to run your own show. And so I think that doing the short was my way of kind of crash coursing myself in what it was like to be on set and what it's like to kind of be at the center of those conversations. Yeah. And that's, you know, which is a big reason why the writer skill is on strike yeah. rate. No, and it's important. I think, I think as a job, you have to have some 
career path. You know what I mean? If you're staying in a room, you're not building those skills. And especially being on a set, it's, it's just like managing anything. There, There's people, there's egos, there's, you know, a pace to it. You know what I mean? You have to learn like how to have certain conversations. Sometimes some tough conversations have to be had, which I'm sure mm-hmm. is a lot easier to have in a writer's room where you see the same people all the time. But, mm-hmm. you know, you may have an actor on set for one day, two days, you know what I mean? And those yeah, are or it might not, be the lead of the show, like exactly. who, who, you know, they're never going to get rid of like, you yeah. know, <laughs> power over, you know? And so you have to have a conversation to try and guide a person who does not want to be guided mm-hmm. into a place where they don't want to be guided into, but that's the job. And so how do you, how do you converse with people? How do you negotiate with people? How do you um, gently convince a person that, uh, that the highway is not the best way to take, whereas their way <laughs> yeah. it's also not going to to lead us to to the, the promised land and so all of that stuff is necessary and all of it is crucial and so learning it um became one of the big reasons why i wanted to make that short yeah that's awesome uh, yeah and i'm glad you're able to make it because i think you know sometimes you have to to seek those experiences to to really get them and especially being that they're not being afforded to a lot of writers uh, and you know that's why you guys are on strike it is frustrating to see that because you know i think uh um, you see the way showrunners are kind of you know looked at these days and just like how did they get there it's like well they didn't just you know come out the womb a showrunner <laughs> it's like they built skills there's a you know like hey like you know you can have instructions but you have to have that hands-on experience it's like that uh that frustrating, you know, job market where it's like, oh, a uh, master's degree with 10 years of experience. It's like, wait, how am I supposed to get experience? Yeah, oh, entry, it's like entry level, 10, five years of experience. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> so yeah. I think it is frustrating to see that, but glad you were able to to get that experience. And I'm sure it was really fun. You know, I've I've heard how indie sets could could really be and, you know, how people pull together. So I'm sure that was a, a really good experience. Yeah, no, it was a blast. It was a blast. There was a, a member of the cast, Tiffany Smith, um, before we showed up in the first day. She was like, hey, Mark, are we going to have dance parties? I was like, what do you mean dance parties? <laughs> I'm just, every now and again, just kind of want to dance. And so we made it a thing. I was like, you know what? After After every setup where we have the shot we need and we have to move the camera, time for a dance party. And it got to the point where, like, my first AD, and the first AD, the first assistant director, is the sergeant of the set. Their job is to make sure that we hit our, our schedules, to make sure that everybody's where they need to be, to make sure that everybody's in, you know, in, in hair and makeup where they need to be, in wardrobe where they need to be, make sure the camera's where it's supposed to be, so that the director can walk on and say action. And he was like, we're going to do what now? We're going to have dance <laughs> parties? How much time is this going to I just saw him watching <laughs> the clock being like... Are we going to eat 10, 15, 20 minutes there with these dance parties? And by the end of it, he was like, you know, Mark, I think we might need a dance party here. <laughs> right. Then let's have a dance party. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> then, you know, I, I can't forgive myself if I don't get to ask you about, you know, you you're, brought it up a little bit earlier, but, you know, you're working on a Captain America Black Panther game. I love single player experiences. I love mm-hmm. any Hennig games. So what was that experience like? And obviously you can't talk about too much because only a teaser was revealed, but is this your first game? And if it is like, wow, what a what a project to work on. Yeah, like I, I it, it is my first game being part of the kind of narrative design team. Mm-hmm. I did about five or six years ago, um, I did write some dialogue for a game called State of Decay. I think it was State of Decay 2, um, which was 
it, it, it was, I'm not going to say the worst writing I've ever done because that's not fair to it. <laughs> yeah. Because all the, all of the job required was, Hey, so this character, we need eight different ways for a character to say hello, three ways to hello to a friend, two ways, hello to a neutral person, three ways, hello to an enemy or, or an antagonist. And it was 50 different variations on that. Hello, goodbye, I need supplies. I feel bad, I feel Suck. good. I'm <laughs> yeah. And so just figuring out different ways for people to talk in a game that was all about sort of emergent storytelling. It was all about just kind of, you know, these random conversations that would lead to random stories and you just needed dialogue prompts for actors to be able to read. That had all I, that's all I had done prior to, to hooking up with Amy, which happened because I'm friends with Todd Stashwick, and Todd Stashwick had been working with Amy on a Star Wars game that never happened, and so they together were starting the, their work on the the Cap Black Panther game, and uh, and and I was lucky enough to get the nod of like, hey, this guy might be able to help, and it was it was an incredible crash course in learning how game narrative design works specifically in that I've been playing games for most of my life. And so I thought that I knew how they work just as I had read comic books for most of my life and thought I knew how I tried to write a comic book. It's always, it's always sobering to have somebody remind you, like people have to play this too. (laughs) It's, it's one thing to write an adventure that feels passive for an audience, but it can't feel passive for a player. They have to feel like they have, you know, initiative and agency and that the choices that they make affect the game. And, you know, it's not open world the way, you know, uh, Baldur's Gate might be open world. Mm. You know, it's not even like Assassin's Creed where you can just like, I'm going to run around Constantinople because <laughs> it's fun. And it's like, there's definitely a story that needs to be followed. But like, how do you make a player feel like they're in control when they're not in control? You know, how do you, how do you make story decisions also be active things that you can be doing with a controller. How do you, you know, and all of that stuff was alien to me and all that stuff. And if you had to have somebody to lead you through those woods, Amy Henning is about as good a a teacher as you can get. Yeah. I'd say that, you know, I've learned a lot about games, just playing the American. Yeah. Um, So yeah. Congrats on that. It's amazing. A a super great opportunity. I can't wait to play it just because uh, my son is, he's been playing Spider-Man, the PS5 game Uh like nonstop because he loves trains and then he loves Spider-Man. So there's a train yard in there and he gets in there. So Spider-Man two is coming out this year. And then he's also (laughs) a big black Panther fan. So when that game comes out, I'm sure you have at least one seventy dollar buyer, <laughs> and it's a four year old in New York. So you know, Excellent. Uh, I'm sure he will enjoy punching Nazis as much as the rest of us do. <laughs> oh, he will. But yeah, thank you for coming on again. You're such a busy person with with all the projects we we touched on. It was a, an absolute honor to and pleasure to have you on and really break down the process and and really be open about. Um, like what you love, which is great. I always love part of creating this was to talk to people and, and their passions, because I, I think it, it's really inspiring to see how people create. And I, I really appreciate you coming on. No, man, this was this was super fun. So thank you. Thank you for reaching out. Thanks for sending. Thank you. And, and with that, bada boom. Bada boom. Thank you for listening to the Bob Boom Podcast. Keep the conversation going with Chris and I on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. You can find us on all these places at at Bada Boom Podcast. Get into the comments on our YouTube channel. Let us know what you like about the show or what you'd like to hear from us in the future. Until next time, 
please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening.